0: But the mic drop moment for me is is in Exodus 20. In Exodus 20, we have the Ten Commandments. And on the fourth commandment, we're told to honor and keep holy, hallow the Sabbath day. That day is to be a day of rest. Um, You nor your, your children, your wife that time, even servants, no one was to work. Mm -hmm. It was supposed to be a day of rest. But then we have an explanation. In the Ten Commandments, it's, it's a longer explanation than any of the other commandments. So you have all the Ten Commandments, but on the fourth one, there's like commentary. And the commentary says, because God created the world, the earth, the heavens, and all things, everything in the sea, He created it all. And it seems like he's going to a great extent to say everything in six days. And on the seventh day, he rested and he uses the word yamen.
1: Welcome listeners to the next episode of the Scripture and Plain Reason podcast.
0: An engaging podcast where we discuss the authority and clarity of Scripture. God's word is true and God's word is clear.
1: My name is Ryan.
0: And my name is Brian.
1: We are happy to be back with you here, listeners. And... We're going to start this episode, which is technically episode three, with something a little different. I went to the dentist today, Brian. Oh, you did? It was uneventful, which is always nice when you go to the dentist. What Have you
0: been to the dentist since COVID, or is this like a delay?
1: Second time since COVID, yeah. so So
0: not too many barnacles. No.
1: No, it's been a year, I think. You know, I, I schedule a six month appointment and then I never keep it and I just go a full year. Or so.
0: Oh, so just one cleaning a year, yeah. not two. <laughs>
1: it's probably not a good idea. Now, did
0: she give you the lecture or he on on flossing and how often are you flossing? And
1: no, so I cheat a little bit. Did
0: you tell him the truth?
1: I did. Okay, but I cheat because I spend for like the three months leading up to my dentist appointment flossing four or five times a week.
0: Oh wow!
1: And so and
0: then your gums are all swollen.
1: Well, then they heal up. But your
0: teeth are clean.
1: So what happens is when you floss, your gums are healing because you're getting that food out from in between your teeth. And so the danger of not flossing is that your gums start to get these like huge crevices in them. That's right. So I'm healing my gums ahead of my appointment so I don't have to do any Mm -hmm. deep cleaning.
0: And so they probably just give you wonderful applause about how wonderfully you take care of your teeth. And you probably, I'm sure, actually don't tell them what you are really doing.
1: Correct. I am somewhat truthful.
0: <laughs> you know, dentist, um, I the hygienist I seem to have a a love hate relationship with. I always enjoy talking to um hairstylists or barbers when they're giving me haircuts and um a doctor too, just small talk, but yeah. I find it so difficult when they get your mouth all propped up and open like that, yeah. and then they start asking you questions, <laughs> and you're like, "I yeah, yeah, and it's like, you'd think that av- over time they'd realize you can't ask somebody a question like that when they have their mouth exactly. all propped up like that. I mean, it's not yes, no questions. It's yeah. like, you know, how many kids do you have, and, you know, <laughs> when does your it. child get married, and I'm like,
1: okay. There's a board game out there. I've never played it, but I've seen videos of it where you stick this thing in your mouth and it opens your mouth up wide and you have to like read something off oh, yeah. the card and somebody has to guess it. Oh
0: yeah, we have it at our home. Nice. Yeah, it's, it's ridiculously funny.
1: And I've seen videos of like older ladies with false teeth in their <laughs> mouth and <laughs> they're trying to
0: talk that and the come teeth fall out. <laughs> out. They come out. Yeah. Oh, I love yeah. that. Yeah.
1: All right, good. Well, why don't we jump in today? We are uh, we have a great episode for you today. We're going to be talking about the literal days in Genesis 1 through 11 and just what all that means. But, but before we go there, Brian, I wanted to make sure that we went back to something that we were talking about in episode two and specifically about tier one issues and Genesis 1 through 11 and the authority of Genesis 1 through 11 being a tier one issue. Can you just talk a little bit more about that in particular, and then as it relates to salvation?
0: Yeah, I'm glad you circle back to that. Certainly not saying if you don't believe in a six literal day, 24-hour day creation, or if you're an old earth person, whether it's day age or um, gap theory, and there's not many of those around anymore, but um, that you are somehow unsaved and that it is a gospel issue, a person can be born again without believing in a a literal six-day, 24-hour creation period. The point I was trying to make is, though, this really strikes at the heart of, did God actually say it happened this way? And if he did, why would we not believe him? So it's it's a biblical authority. Mm -hmm. um, It's a biblical um, infallibility issue. And that makes it a first-tier issue. So if I can't trust that the Word of God is plain and clear, and then therefore authoritative, then I'm going to have a difficulty in believing other supernatural aspects that do touch on the very truth of the gospel. For instance, the resurrection of of Christ. I mean, we just celebrated Easter, and um, we celebrated the resurrection of our Lord Jesus on the third day, on Sunday. But that's supernatural. And so, if I'm going to try to accommodate the secularist with Genesis one and two, um, are the secularists going to say it's all right to believe that a man came back from the dead? Well, absolutely not. It, case in point, I, I there was an article that um, Snopes carried. I don't think it was original with them last year, mm-hmm. about this time. And the title of the article, Ryan, was "Why Creationism Bears All the Hallmarks of a Conspiracy Theory." Um, that piques your attention. Mm-hmm. And and it starts off by comparing creationists, believe it or not, with QAnon and and people who have all these conspiracy theorists and Crazy. Uh, people who um, attacked the Capitol on January sixth. I mean, they they lump them all together. So mm-hmm. this was rather creative. Mm-hmm. Creationists and QAnon, they're they're in the <laughs> same boat. Um, but 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 what's fascinating to me is they were talking about how many people in the United States today still believe in a young Earth creationism. Mm-hmm. They say 40% of adults agree with young earth creationism, which I find very fascinating.
1: Yeah, I didn't think it was that high. Yeah,
0: 40%. And but, but here's the point that I wanted to make in this article, third paragraph. Here's what they say. Such beliefs, talking about creationism, conspiracy theory, such beliefs derive from the doctrine of biblical infallibility, long accepted as integral to the faith of numerous evangelical and Baptist churches throughout the world. Now, if they got everything else wrong in their article, they got that right. Well, that's true. <laughs> so, so we do believe in biblical infallibility, and that is exactly why we believe in young earth creationism. That's why we believe in a literal six-day creation, because we have a birth certificate for the universe, and it's found in Genesis 1 and 2. This is how God said it all started. He was the only eyewitness, except on the sixth day, there were two humans now that witnessed it from then on. But up until that point, God was the only witness to his own creative power. And um, so by saying it as a first-tier issue, it's because it, it takes an attack and an assault, a direct assault on the infallibility and inerrancy of the Bible. And that's what's happening in most cases. Um, the attack that's happening on Genesis one to eleven is is foundational. It comes back to that old Genesis three attack that Satan gave to Eve, mm-hmm. and it was just simple first question that was included in the Bible. I mean, you read all the way to chapter three, no questions. The first question uttered is by the serpent, who is embodiment of Satan himself, and he says, "Did God actually say?" And, and that, to me, is the huge concern right now. Underlying many old earthers is this premise, did God actually say it? And how do we reconcile that with science?
1: I don't think I've ever thought about what Satan said in comparison to what a lot of people are saying about the... The truth of Scripture, that's a really interesting correlation. Yeah, it's a
0: question that just gets reworked, maybe worded a little differently, but it's the same question. And the doubt that this creates in the younger generation, our generation, Mm -hmm. about the trustworthiness of God's Word is what makes this a first-tier issue. But I do want to be clear. We are not saying that if you are not a young earth creationist, if you're not a a literal six-day, 24-hour, I believe you're wrong. Um, But I do not believe that's a salvation issue that would keep you from being born again by placing your complete trust in Jesus's death, burial, resurrection.
1: Yeah. And by the way, you mentioned gap theory. Uh, That was a theory that I had done a lot of research on during my time of, you know, struggling with Genesis and comparing and contrasting to evolution. It's interesting. You're doing a class at, at church on Sundays on Genesis, this very topic. Yeah, right. And I had somebody approach me afterwards saying, Yeah, Pastor Brian's class is great, isn't it? I was like, Yeah, it's really great. He's like, You know, I still have a lot of questions. Like, I was a gap theory guy and I was like, Where are you really? Interesting. Yeah. So you said that. You'll have to not let me know gap...
0: who that guy is right afterwards so I can <laughs> deal with him. <laughs> I'm kidding.
1: Um, so you, there was two former gap theory guys, and I don't think we were gap theory guys 10, 15, 20 years ago. I think it, it was recent. So it's still around.
0: That is fascinating to me because, I, you know, most gap theorists are those that were of the generation of the Schofield Reference Bible. Mm-hmm. Um, my parents, you know, cut their teeth on that, and I had a Schofield Reference Bible. Most of my reference Bibles were Schofield, my, my first, you know, 20 years of life, mm-hmm. and and in his notes, he is a proponent of the gap theory that um, between Genesis one one and Genesis one two, uh, that essentially you had the fall of Satan and you had all of this turmoil and and, and perhaps you had billions of years uh, right there. Um,
1: As you said, commentary is not inspired by God.
0: <laughs> that's right. Yeah, you know, wisely said by I don't remember the first person I heard it from is inspiration doesn't go below the line Mm -hmm. of where the comments are in your study Bible. Uh, So everything else is inspired. That was written by holy men of old as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. But those study notes are are much less than inspired. (laughs) It's good to know that and remember that.
1: Yeah. All right. So let's get back to Genesis one through 11. And so we're, we're talking about biblical authority here. I'm just curious. And I think our listeners would appreciate this. How does the literal 24-hour days correlate to biblical authority? Because we know that 24-hour days is often something that's t- attacked quite a bit.
0: Yeah, right. Yeah, I, I think the connection is it all starts with the presupposition. Do I believe that the genre, the type of literature that I'm reading is historical? Is this a, a, a narration of how things happen, events took place? The Bible is mostly history. Um, when you think about the whole Bible, most of it is historic. Now, obviously, when you get to the epistles um, and you have poetry in the in the middle section, and you have prophecy, but even in the prophecy, a lot of it is dealing with some historical events in the background before these writing prophets give some future prophetic um, uh, foresight, mm-hmm. or foretelling, I should say. So what is the book of Genesis, Its history? Um, I mentioned on the last episode, I think you'll notice in the beginning, as you're reading it, in the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. Um, he starts laying out this, what's called in Hebrew, uh, the wah, um like waw, waw, <laughs> uh, the waw consecutive. And the waw consecutive is basically when that conjunction in English and is continuously shown there. Mm-hmm. And he did this and he did this. And that was the morning and the evening or evening and morning, mm-hmm. the first day. That's essentially what we would have grammatically as a colon for punctuation in um, the English language. So it's a
1: listing of things.
0: Yeah, right. So when you put a colon in, you're expecting for there to be a list Mm -hmm. after that, right? So here are the items you need to take for the camp trip. Mm -hmm. And then you have them listed. So this is the kind of um, grammar that's used when events are being described. This happened, and then this happened, and then this happened. So... If I believe that I'm reading a historical account, but beyond that, I believe this historical account is written and inspired, God-breathed, according to 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17, by God, then I'm going to expect, number one, as we mentioned last episode, is going to be clear and it's going to be perfect. So, With that presupposition, before I read Genesis 1, I open up my Bible, and then I begin to read this very familiar account. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And then he's going to give us six days of creative activity. He's going to mark off of those by morning and evening. He's going to be talking about the earth on its axis, and you've got this this bounding by morning and evening that signals that these are normal 24-hour days. (laughs) So the first reason I believe this is because I have a presupposition, and I'm not ashamed to say it, that this is a historical account inspired by God to tell us about an event that none of us were here to witness. So that's where I start. And the correlation between that and the authority of the scriptures, the infallibility of the scriptures, to me is pretty clear. Because if God said it, and he said it happened like this, and God is always interested in us understanding his communication. He's not trying to be coy. He's not putting together a Bible code that we have to get all these dots connected and we have to have a Hebrew degree in order to understand it. If, if I believe that God has communicated perfectly and in a way that I can understand it, generally speaking, um, then you're going to come out on the other end with, he's describing a normal work week. Mm-hmm. This is exactly what I experience, you know, 52 times a year. So that's on the, the layman's level? Now, if we were to go a little further, one of the things we could ask is, okay, so um, that's the presupposition. But people do have a question about this. And and sometimes I think we we spend too much time talking about the Hebrew or the Greek, and it makes the average person think, well, there's got to be so much hidden stuff in the ancient languages that little old me, I'll just believe whatever the experts say. Well, I, I would challenge anybody to look into the Hebrew. Um, read some commentaries. Read some, you know, dictionaries uh, on the definition. Look at a concordance, a simple concordance about wherever this word "yam" or "yamain," the plural days, is used in the Old Testament. Not just in Genesis, and and see for yourself: is this word used um, like it's used in Genesis one ever in the Old Testament to describe billions of years? millions of years anything other than a 24-hour day that we experience every day that we're alive and i think the answer will be no
1: and we're going to go there because that's going to be my next question Mm. but i think this is a good spot for a break so we're going to take a break and we'll be right back let's do it where can you access the scripture and plain reason podcast you can listen on any of your favorite listening platforms we're on spotify apple podcasts and many others Also, we'd love to hear how we're doing. So if you have any feedback, please leave us a comment. Or, of course, if you have any ideas for future episodes, we would love to hear those as well.
0: Also, you can go to our website, which is scriptureandplainreason.com. On that website, you'll notice there'll be links to the podcast as well as blog posts, Many of those posts are going to be uh, further content that we uh, discussed on the show. You can also go to our Facebook page, which is Scripture and Plain Reason. And on that Facebook page, you'll see links uh, to the blog post. You'll see uh, maybe some snippets from uh, future podcast. And it is also another good forum to leave questions, comments, to maybe even share an idea for our future podcast. We'd love to hear from you.
1: All right, we are back here with you. Thanks for sticking around, listeners. And we were just before we went to break talking about the word yom, which is the Hebrew word for day. Brian, why don't you just give our listeners a little bit of insight around what the word yom means, and then if you can jump into where it's referenced throughout the rest of the Old Testament, that'd be great.
0: Absolutely. The Hebrew word for day is yom. Uh, Yamain would be the plural. So if you hear if you see the word days, it's gonna be Yamain. If you see the word yam, it's gonna be day. And it is not used in the Old Testament as this undefined period of time. Um, now there are some references in poetry that will speak of of, of a long Yom, but it's poetic or maybe even prophetic when it's speaking of the day of the Lord, which the day of the Lord is is a prophetic day that has to do with judgment and um, the consummation of the age. But here's some interesting statistics. I just want to throw at our listeners to consider this: Whenever Yom, the word for day, is used with a number, and I think that's 359 times outside of Genesis one, um, either with cardinal numbers or ordinal numbers. In all 359 occasions, it always means ordinary 24-hour days. Hmm. Now, of course, in Genesis 1, yom is used with a number. Day 1, day 2, day Mm 3. Here's another one. Whenever yom is used either with the word morning or evening, and I think it's 19 times or so outside of Genesis 1, in all those occasions, it always means ordinary 24-hour day period. Just a couple more. Whenever morning and evening, which we see in this passage, occur together without day, 38 times outside of Genesis 1. In all 38 occasions, it always means ordinary 24-hour day. And finally, whenever yom, Hebrew word for day, occurs with the word night, and I think that's 53 times outside of Genesis 1, if I have my math right, in all fifty-three occasions, Ryan, it always means ordinary twenty-four-hour day. Interesting. So, so the point—if you just took those stats, which can be a little bit uh, mind-blowing or, 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 or head-spinning—here's the question that I would ask for someone who wants to say, "No, no, that doesn't mean twenty-four-hour uh, literal day in Genesis one." What more could God have said to communicate? These are ordinary 24-hour days. I mean, what if he'd used the word yom with numbers, morning, evening, and night? Well, he did. <laughs> so the point is, how I, I think about him. What more could he said to you than he's already said he in a firm of foundation?
1: He would have used a different word. <laughs> he
0: would have used a different word. And, and what's fascinating, too, is to think that of all the Old Testament and the I, I don't know, it's, it's got to be thousands of times the word yom or yomain is used. Mm-hmm. There's only one place in the entire Old Testament, we have 39 English translation books of the Old Testament, only one place is there this attack and this apologetic for why yom doesn't be 24-hour literal day. And you know where it's at? Genesis 1. Why don't they go to other places yeah. in the Old Testament and say, you know what, this is, doesn't mean day here? I'll give you a couple instances. One that I think is kind of the mic drop moment, but one, you remember how the Lord he provided for his people in the wilderness manna, mm-hmm. and he told them that they were supposed to go out every morning and collect what they could eat, and not get too much because it would spoil if they got greedy and say you know I don't want to go out tomorrow and get manna so I'll get double the d- mm-hmm. double the amount of this bread or manna actually means what is it <laughs> so we're not sure what it is I've always thought maybe it tasted like uh, moist honey nut cheerios or maybe like mm-hmm. maybe like cinnamon toast crunch I don't know
1: I, um, I always thought it was like the wafers that we have for communion <laughs> Oh my
0: you know those are those are bad Yes. You know, those are bad but Anyway th- he told them he said you go out each of the days Until the sixth day. And on the sixth day, you're supposed to get double because you're not supposed to go out on the seventh day, the Sabbath. Sabbath, There'll be no manna coming down on Mm -hmm. the Sabbath day. Just for six days will you get the manna. You got to get double the amount on Friday so that you have sufficient for your needs on Saturday, the Sabbath. Mm -hmm. He uses the word yom. If we wanted to, and we wanted to play loose like they're playing in Genesis, And my argument is that they're trying to accommodate secularist, naturalist, evolutionist, and Darwinianist. They're trying to say that yom doesn't mean day in Genesis 1, but when it's used to tell them about how much manna to get, he uses the word yom. And all of these same people that received Genesis from Moses' writing and under divine inspiration, what did they understand that to mean? We go out and, you know, pick up manna for millions of years and then... We have to have enough on the six millionth year. <laughs> <to>
1: get, <laughs> that doesn't make sense. No.
0: But the mic drop moment for me is, is in Exodus twenty. In Exodus twenty, we have the Ten Commandments. And on the fourth commandment, we're told to honor and keep holy, hallow, the Sabbath day. That day is to be a day of rest. Um you nor your your children, your wife, and at that time, even servants, they no one was to work. Mm-hmm. It was supposed to be a day of rest. But then we have an explanation. In the Ten Commandments, it's it's a longer explanation than any of the other commandments. So you have all the Ten Commandments, but on the fourth one, there's like commentary. And the commentary says, because God created the world, the earth, the heavens, and all things, everything in the sea. He created it all. And it seems like he's going to great extent to say everything. In six days, and on the seventh day he rested, and he uses the word Yamen. Now, we're told in Deuteronomy that those Ten commandments, God used his own finger to write, write the Ten Commandments. Yeah. So God gives his own divine commentary, as it were, on Genesis 1, saying, "In six literal days, I created everything, and on the seventh day, I rested, and you are too." Now, if I were to take the old earth theory or the gap theory or the you know, analogical day theory or the age day theory, I, I, I would have to come back to say, he was saying to them, you need to work for six million years mm-hmm. and, and, you, and need take take, million. you need to take a million years <laughs> off. And, and, and it's not fair minded to read any literature, let alone God's perfect literature that loose of a way Mm -hmm. to say, okay, I'm going to read this as history over here. But over here, because it doesn't fit with modern scientific theories, I can't read them as literal days.
1: I didn't realize that the fourth commandment had almost like a sub-bullet explanation for why.
0: Yeah. I mean, you you look at it and it's like, okay, wow, the Lord really gave us some explanation (laughs) on that one. And, you know, we don't know the mind of the Lord. And I certainly don't want to Say something authoritative that isn't true, but it almost makes you wonder if the Lord knew that there would be such an attack Mm -hmm. on His creative power to make all things in six literal 24 hour days that He gave us more commentary (laughs) on that commandment than He did on the others.
1: I agree. That's a mic drop moment. I'm
0: suspicious. (laughs) (laughs)
1: Well, that was the Old Testament, gave us a couple of really great examples. What about the New Testament? What about Jesus using yom in the New Testament.
0: Yeah, well, Jesus doesn't use the word yom that we know about, but he does reference these first two chapters, Mm. and he references them not as poetry, but as history. So what he's doing there is he's, he's saying, for instance, when he's asked about his view of divorce, there were two parties that were disagreeing about what had to happen for you to give your wife a bill of divorcement. There was one very loose liberal school that said, you know, anything, you know, if they burn your proverbial toast, you can can divorce them. The other one, it was only for unfaithfulness. So they were asking the Lord. And and then the Lord says to them, he says, it was because of the hardness of your heart that that Moses gave you that bill of divorcement to begin with. And then he says, from the beginning, it wasn't so. Hmm. And then he quotes Moses in Genesis 2. About how a man shall leave his father, mother, and cleave to his wife. And he says, and God said. Now, Moses wrote it, but here Jesus is, he's coming back to the first two chapters of Genesis, and he's saying these were historic. Mm-hmm. This is actually what happened. This wedding ceremony took place right after they were created. Um, he also references Abel as the first martyr. And so now we've got Genesis 4 being referenced by Christ as historic. So if, for instance, theistic evolution is true, and that we really don't have the creation of one man and one woman, and now we're all ancestors from that first couple, this runs into the problem of why did Jesus reference them as though they were literal historical people? Um, he references in the beginning that God created, he designed things, we see this with the apostles as well when they're referencing back to creative order. They refer to these as historical events. And, and I would also say that if these aren't historical events and all of these days, these yams were not literally 24-hour periods, you run into some real problems when you come to places like the genealogies mm-hmm. that trace back Christ all the way back to Adam. If I've counted correctly, I think there's like seventy-six or seventy-eight genealogies in between Adam and Christ.
1: It's not enough for billions of years.
0: <laughs> not enough. I mean, how how are you going to squeeze billions of years in there? And and what's interesting is is that's not where they try to squeeze in the billions of years. It's the attack is on Genesis one. And again, do we have the birth certificate of the universe given for us on the history of origins in Genesis one? Or do we not? Mm -hmm. And to me, that's the key question. That's why this is so important. I believe that we we have in Genesis 1, Ryan, is a sequential order of how God created the universe. It is amazingly specific, and it's amazingly complex. Uh, God spoke in day one. He placed the earth and the heavens. So we have created on day one time in the beginning. We have space. He created the heavens, and we have matter. He created the earth. We have time, space, and matter created on day one. He also said, let there be light on day one. He separated the light from the darkness. Then on day two, we're told that he he made, an, or made us an expanse. So basically, the world was a sphere of water, but he separated the water on the earth from the water above the earth. It was basically like a greenhouse, a translucent body of water that covered as a shield uh, the earth. And then on day three, he separates the land, and the land shows up, and it appears that maybe it kind of all came in one spot. It wasn't like we have today, post-flood, where the continents are all split up, and he had the oceans in their spot. And then he said the plants and the trees, they all matured. It was mm-hmm. almost like, what do you what do you call those... Um, the, uh, when you, when you're filming something and you, and you oh, see it you speed fast up.
1: forward, then it speeds up yeah, the process. I don't yeah. know what you
0: call that, but yeah. any, anyway, I envision that's kind of how it happened with mm-hmm. the, with the plants and with the trees. And then on day four, he places the clocks in the skies, the sun, the moon, and the stars. And it just says, and he made the stars too. <laughs> he made the stars too. And the amazing amount of stars that are in the universe. And then on day five, we're told that he made all of the fish, all of the sea animals, the amazing uh, design of these first creatures that he has designed now, made the planet fully able to um, make uh, for life. There, It is inhabitable. And so now he he creates the first living beings, and they're in the seas, and they many of them have gills, and they're able to suck out the oxygen over this very intense little system of, of pulling the oxygen out of the water. And then he makes all of the the birds and, and the, those creatures that can fly in the air. Mm-hmm. And they have lungs that are kind of like unidirectional, where they, they take in oxygen, almost like the, the crate and the exhaust in your car. Mm. Yeah. And um, God designed them just by speaking them into place. And then on day six, he creates all of the animals on the land. And um, later that day, he created humans, and that was different. He'd spoken everything else into place, but with humans, he really got his hands dirty. He, he said, let us, he uses the plural there, uh, let us, and it seems to be a reference to the Trinity. Mm-hmm. Let's make man distinctly different from all the other creatures. Let's make him in our image.
1: So God spoke for all of the other elements except for man he created with the Trinity. That's,
0: that's yeah, crazy. It, it amazes us to realize um, what is man that you're mindful of him. You've made him a little lower than the angels is what the psalmist says. And so he gets his hands dirty. He makes this mud man of sorts and he blows into his nostrils the breath of life. Mm-hmm. God's a spirit. He has no body. The Lord Jesus is not incarnate at this point. So I don't know exactly how all of that worked, but he forms man. He breathes into him the breath of life. Then he gives him an assignment to name the animals, and he names the animals, and, and he's naming them according to their kinds. And those aren't the same thing as species. Mm-hmm. So he probably didn't have that many. When you think about it, it wasn't all the various dogs we have. Mm-hmm. There was just one set of dogs, and, um, and, and then at the end of the day, he's lonely, and God puts him to sleep, has a surgery, and creates Eve. And um, that's six days of, of creation, and we're told that on the seventh he rested. So no more creation after that. Mm-hmm. And that reads like history. And just if I could say one more thing about just the connection between the authority of Scripture clarity of scripture and the days, Mm yom, being understood as anybody who just opens up the Bible for the first time would read it and it would say, that happened in a week. And why you shouldn't look for any other sense. There was a good phrase, I think I mentioned it before, that says this in Bible interpretation. When the plain sense makes common sense, don't seek any other sense. To do so would be nonsense. Yeah, I and I I think that's true here because there are some difficult passages in the Bible. We mentioned some of those at our last show. And it takes more study, more concentration. But Genesis is not one of those books. Mm-hmm. Genesis is a narrated historical narrative that tells you how things happened in sequence. And... My children, from time to time, when they're reading through their Bibles, come upon, and we do too, difficult passages. Yeah. Maybe difficult to understand or just difficult to read because they, they seem to be so distant from our life. Leviticus. But yeah, Leviticus, <laughs> it seems to be the, uh, kind of the um, the one that most people would reference when we talk about <laughs> difficult passages to read. It's a tough morning when that's all your Bible reading is, right? That's right. But Genesis is not one of those books that's complex, that, you know, is is very ambiguous or opaque. Um, Genesis reads very easily and clearly. Uh, You can read it to your children. And for us to come at any other angle and to say, no, actually hidden behind that clarity is complexity and nuance. And you just haven't seen it. And if you could see it, then you would understand that the Darwinist and the naturalist are correct.
1: Mm. Yeah, well, I think we could probably spend another forty-five minutes on twenty-four-hour days and all of the different elements of that part of Genesis. And I have other questions for you, and we're not going to get to them. Maybe we can sprinkle these into future episodes. Why light source until day four? Is how are plants able to grow without the sun? I'd love to also understand some of the dangers of thinking more on that progressive side of billions of years. But unfortunately we just don't have time for this episode. So I think we'll try to work those into some sure. of the other episodes. Moving Let's forward.
0: do another episode.
1: Sounds good to me. <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of our next episode, uh, I think we're going to talk a little bit about Adam and Eve. So can you maybe just give us a, a real short preview on what to expect?
0: Yeah. The other uh, point of, I probably overused the word attack is that Adam and Eve were not literal Um, historical persons, that they were metaphors, they are figures of speech, um, but not literal people. And um, this has gotten a lot more traction with people. And so I want to point out the dangers. I want us to discuss the pitfalls and how believing that Adam and Eve are not literal people um, really undercuts, again, the authority and trustworthiness of Scripture. Great. Sounds good. I'm looking forward to that. Yeah, me too.
1: Well, that wraps up this episode of the Scripture and Plain Reason podcast. My name is Ryan.
0: My name is Brian.
1: Join us next time for more Scripture and Plain Reason.
0: Scriptures are true and the Scriptures are clear.